second book of Chronicles and chapter 34. So 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and I'm going to read the whole chapter. So, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles, the idols and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles, and crushed crushed the idols to powder, and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azalea, and Maseah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They went to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the doorkeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from all the people of Judah and Benjamin, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dressed stone and timbers for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The men did the work faithfully. Over them, to direct them, were Jehath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Merari, and Zechariah and Meshalem, descended from Kohath. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes and doorkeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. 
they have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asaiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokhath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he made everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites and he made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. Okay, so, so we have in this chapter the story of the young king Josiah and the account of his devotion to God. And what, what I want to do this morning is just to consider some of the things we are told in this chapter about Josiah and consider 
how we can learn from him. How can we learn, how we can learn from his attitude towards God. In, in, in Hebrews, we read about the so-called heroes of faith, which the writer to the, to the Hebrews himself calls them the great crowd of witnesses. People that, that are in the Old Testament, men and women in the Old Testament, that we can look, look at their lives and, and see how they had faith in God, how they were devoted to God. And Josiah isn't one of the men listed it by Hebrews. He's not in that list, but, but he is somebody like them who, who can point us to, to God and who can point, point us in the direction of what our attitude should be to God. So let's see what we can learn from Josiah. It's worth looking at him because he saw in his land what many of us are longing to see in our land today. He saw a revival. And many of us are longing to see a revival in Britain and in Sheffield. And I guess the sad thing about Josiah's revival, it, it didn't actually last all that long. It, it only lasted as long as he himself was alive. And, and it, it seems that maybe some of the, what, what follows on from this chap, from subsequent chapters, it looks like the Israelites perhaps weren't all, all of them as committed to it as, as Josiah himself was. But nevertheless, it's good to see what prompted this revival and learn from that. So let's begin by just looking at some of the background to this story. Let's look at the, the need for the revival that, that Josiah saw. Yes, Josiah came to the throne as a boy aged just eight. And he came to lead a land that was basically in rebellion against God. Idolatry was rampant in the land of Judah when Josiah came to the throne. And in fact, ever since the time of, of Solomon, idolatry had been rampant in both the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And because of Solomon's idolatry, because he married foreign women and worshipped their foreign gods, God rebuked, God really punished the, the, the nation by, by splitting it into two nations. So you had the, the northern tribe of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel comprising ten tribes, and then the southern, southern kingdom of Judah comprising just Judah and Benjamin. And idolatry was rampant in both these kingdoms. In spite of the fact that God repeatedly sent prophets to warn them, to warn his people of, of what would happen, what the consequences would be of forsaking their God. And so around 70 years before, before Josiah's began his reign, during the reign of his great-grandfather Hezekiah, the, their neighbor, the northern kingdom, was exiled to Assyria. And that was while Hezekiah was king of Judah. And you might have thought that, having seen what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel, that the kingdom of Judah would 
be careful to, to obey God. And indeed, Hezekiah was a man who, who did serve God and was faithful to God. But when, the, when Hezekiah died, he was succeeded by his son, Manasseh. And Manasseh was a particularly, but well, he stands out as a particularly bad king. It's even, there's even a, a tradition that it may have been Manasseh who killed the prophet Isaiah, possibly by sawing him in, him in half. And Manasseh did many things that were really evil. And then he was succeeded himself by his son Ammon, Josiah's father, who continued the evil that Manasseh had done. The difference between them, though, was that Manasseh actually repented at, at one stage because God, God rebuked him, took him, let him get taken into captivity. And, and in captivity, he called out to God and God heard his, his cry. And as a result, Manasseh repented of his sin. Yet his son, Ammon, continued the sins that, that Manasseh had begun and worshipped the idols that Manasseh had made. So Josiah comes to the throne following his father Ammon at a time when Israel, when Judah is full of idolatry. And so we read of, of, of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved idols and cast images. And all these were, were the the idols that the people of Judah, under the, under, kings, under the king Manasseh and the king Ammon, that they, that they worshipped. And we also read about the temple having fallen into disrepair. So Josiah has to organise a repair of the temple because it says in, in, in verse 11 that... The, the buildings that the kings of Judah, they had allowed them to fall into ruin. So the kings of Judah that, that preceded Manasseh had allowed the temple of God to fall into disrepair. And not only that, but the book of the law, the book of Moses, the law that was binding on Israel and Judah, that told them what, what God required of them, had somehow got lost. Now, no, nobody is sure for, nobody is certain exactly what the book of the law is, what, what is meant in this passage, what, what this book of the law is that was found in the temple. But the consensus of opinion is that either it was the whole law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, or else it was just the book of Deuteronomy. But whatever it was, it was the law of Moses and it had been neglected and somehow got lost. And again, nobody knows how long it was lost and scholars debate whether it had been lost for centuries or, or had only become lost in recent years. But in fact, if we look at the book of Chronicles a bit early on, we see in the reign of Jehosh Jehoshaphat that he read the law, the book of the law, to the people. And then even in, in the reign of Hezekiah, in 2 Chronicles 31, 
verse 4. We read that Hezekiah ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and Levites so that they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So it looks as if the book of the law was still in circulation, was still around during the reign of Hezekiah. So my guess is it most likely got got misplaced during the reign of Manasseh. Because if you turn to chapter 33 of Chronicles, chapter 33 and verse 4, it says that Manasseh built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both the courts of the temple and of the Lord, he built altars to the starry hosts. He sacrificed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced sorcery, divination and witchcraft, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking them to anger. He took the carved image he had made and put it in God's temple, of which God had said to David and his son Solomon, In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your forefathers, if only they will be careful to do everything that I have commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, ordinances given through Moses. So we read that Manasseh not only committed idolatry, but even committed idolatry in the temple. He desecrated God's temple. And so it's likely that it may have been in this in this period that the book of Moses got neglected and got, got somehow lost. So it's a very sad situation that Josiah finds himself in as a young king. And it's really not just the the, the book of the law that has been misplaced, it's like God himself has been misplaced. God was the God of, of, of the Israelites and yet they had neglected him. And this is the situation that Josiah came to and basically saw a revival during his reign. And we are ourselves in a situation where God has been neglected. We are ourselves in a situation where God's word is, is not lost, but certainly abandoned in society, where God's word is held in, in well, is despised. I think it would be a, an exaggeration to say that Britain is as bad as, as Judah was under Manasseh. We read, for example, that Manasseh filled Jerusalem with, with blood. He, he murdered loads of innocent people. And maybe it's, maybe it's an exaggeration to say that Britain has, is quite that bad. But nevertheless, we have rejected God. And we are, as a nation, we do embrace and, and celebrate things that God himself has God himself abhors. And we see even, even in many churches, we see God's word not held in the, in the esteem that it should be. 
And so, just as Josiah came to the throne, and there was a desperate need for a revival, the same need is in our nation today. We, we desperately need revival today. Now, Josiah wasn't the only, he wasn't the first king that sought God. There were, unlike in the, in the northern kingdom where all the kings of Israel did evil in the eyes of Lord, the kings of Judah were a bit of a mixed bunch. And, and individual kings did sometimes serve God. But frequently, you, as you read their stories, it will say they did right in the eyes of God. They followed the ways of their father David, but the high places were not removed. So although they personally served God, they didn't lead Israel and Ju- they didn't lead Judah to worship God. And this is where Josiah is different from many of his predecessors, because he, he did remove the idolatry from the land, and he brought the people of Judah to, back to God. And a significant thing about Josiah as well, which you may have missed as I read the story, is he didn't just do it in Judah. He also went to the land of Israel, the northern kingdom, where he didn't have any jurisdiction. He was king of Judah. He wasn't king of Israel. And yet he went to the northern kingdom of Israel and removed the idolatry there as well. And that was in in fulfilment of a prophecy made many years later. In fact, made only a few years after the two kingdoms were divided. While Jeroboam was still king of... While Jeroboam was king of Israel, the, the first king of Israel, we read in 1 Kings chapter 13... And verse 1, by the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. Oh, altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. So all those years ago, Josiah became one of only two people in the Bible who were prophesied about by name long before they were born. Many years before Josiah's birth, God knew that, that what he would do. God knew that Josiah was going to go and introduce God, worship of God, back into Israel. And he prophesied it naming Josiah and the only other person in the Bible to be prophesied by name before his birth is the Persian king Cyrus who was prophesied by Isaiah so so Josiah presumably knew this prophecy he presumably knew that that God had prophesied that he would do that because although it was God's judgment on Israel and Judah following Solomon's reign, although it was God who, who decreed that the two kingdoms should be separated, nevertheless, both Israel and Judah 
we're the kingdom of God, we're the people of God. And it was always God's will, God's desire for his people to be reunited. And just as Josiah wasn't the first king to to serve God, in the same way he wasn't the first king to repair the temple. We read earlier that King Joash had needed to repair the temple as well. King Hezekiah had done some repairs on the temple. But following the finding of the book of the law, Josiah also celebrated the Passover as many of, as some of the other kings had done but his celebration of the Passover if we have read on to 35 it's, it's in chapter 35 Josiah's celebration of the Passover was unique in that again he brought together both Judah and Israel and they all celebrated the Passover together and Josiah renews the covenant with the people. Um, It says in verse 32, he made everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to the covenant. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And this is a problem with the revival that Josiah saw. Because you can't force people to, to serve God. God only accepts worship that is freely given. And it looks like Josiah forced the people of Judah to serve God. And that's why, I presume, they only did it as long as Josiah was alive. As soon as Josiah died, he was succeeded by other kings, three of his sons and one of his grandsons, who again did evil in the eyes of God. So, the people... Although during Josiah's lifetime, they were, they, they went along with Josiah's reforms, they weren't committed to it. And what we need is a revival that change, we need is God for cha- what we need is a revival where God changes our hearts, not just our external behavior. And there's two things in this passage that I really want to focus on from Josiah. The first one is that at an early age, at the age of 16 roughly, he begins to seek the God of his father David. And this really was the catalyst for the revival. He could have gone the way of the other kings that had preceded him. He could have, he could have served, he could have worshipped the false gods of of Ammon and Manasseh. He could have worshipped the idols that the other people of Judah were worshipping. But at the age of 15 or 16, he made a personal decision to decide to seek God. And that's a decision each one of us needs to make. Are we going to seek God or are we going to seek some other, some, something else? There's loads of other gods, loads of other things Josiah could have sought after. And there are many things we, our, we today could seek after. 
the obvious things like career, money, possessions, relationships. Or we could seek after acceptability. We could seek a, a way of life where we are popular with, with our friends. We could seek to avoid ridicule. Because Jesus warns us, doesn't he, that, that we will be persecuted for his name. He warns us that just as, just as he himself was persecuted, those who follow him, who worship him, will also be persecuted. But God invites us to seek him. It may be that some of you have never sought God. There may be people here who are visitors who have never sought God. And yet God, God, God wants us to find him. I don't know, I don't know what, when you last played hide and seek. Maybe some of you have played it recently. I played hide and seek recently with my nephew. And he went into his room, uh, hid, so I went in to find him. And there was a quite obvious toddler-shaped bulge under his duvet with, with two feet sticking out. And so pretending not to notice it, I was sort of looking around in other places. I was talking to myself, saying, oh, I wonder if he's hiding in the wardrobe. I wonder if he's hiding behind this chair. And every time I said something like that, a little giggle would emit from under his duvet. And it was almost like he wanted me to find him. Now, I'm not suggesting God is like a three-year-old, but God does want us to find him. And so, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is talking to the people of Athens. And he says in chapter 17 and verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So God encourages us to seek him. He encourages us to reach out for him. He's, he's not playing hide and seek where he's hiding from us and hoping we won't find him. So if you've never sought God, maybe today is a time to begin to seek God. But for most of us, I guess, we have sought God. And we, most of us, I guess, have, have found God. But Josiah, uh, at a young age, it says he began to seek God. It's not a one-off event. It's not something where once you've found God, you can stop seeking. One comment, commentary on this passage says, Seeking in Chronicles describes the habit of looking to God in every situation and also the attitude which God's look, God looks for in those who pray. Began implies the start of a spiritual pilgrimage for young Josiah. 
So Josiah seeks God, not just at the age of 16, but he seeks God throughout his whole life. And so when the book of the law is brought to him, and he sends Hilkiah to the prophetess Huldah, he sends him to Huldah to inquire of the Lord. Again, he's seeking God. He's seeking God's will. He's seeking what God wants him to do. It's very easy for us to to just, maybe we read something in the Bible, and we think, oh yeah, I, this is what I think it means. And maybe, particularly if it's something we, we, if we want it to mean that, it's very easy just to stick with that interpretation. But Josiah seeks God. He seeks. Uh, he doesn't just rely on his own understanding, his own interpretation of what God's word says. So he sends Hilkiah to the prophetess for guidance. He's seeking God. And this is a challenge for us. Do we seek God as Josiah did? Do we seek to, do we seek God's ways and God's, God's, the way God wants us to live? Do we, do we seek to please God? Seeking God entails walking in God's ways. So in Psalm 119, Psalm 119, Seeking God is described in this way. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those, blessed are they who keep his statutes, who seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. So seeking God entails seeking God's way for our life. It entails serving God being committed to, to God's plan for our lives. So Josiah sought the God of his father David. He had the choice of all these other gods that he could have sought, but he chose the true God, the God of his father David. And that's the God that we need to be seeking, the God of, of, who reveals himself in the Bible. And primarily, the Bible is the way we seek God. Primarily, God has revealed himself in Scripture, in his word. God's word is the revelation of God. So what is our attitude to God's word? What is our attitude to Scripture? And Josiah, as the book of the law was brought to him, he recognized it for what it was. He recognized it as God's word. And in this, he can be contrasted with his son. One of, one of the kings that reigned after Josiah was his son, Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim also had God's word brought to him. And we can read about it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 36. So in Jeremiah chapter 36, 
beginning at verse 21. Basically what's happened is God has told Jeremiah to write his prophecies on a scroll. And the scroll is brought to, to the king. And so in verse 21 of chapter 36 of Jeremiah, the king sent Jehudai to get the scroll, and Jehudai brought it from the room of Elishama, the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the brazier in front of him. Whenever Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the brazier until the entire scroll was burnt in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Delea and Gamaria urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. So we see a contrast between the attitude of Josiah to God's word and the attitude of his son Jehoiakim to God's word. Now I'm guessing, probably, hopefully, you've not torn out pages of your Bible and burnt them. But are there pages of your Bible that you don't like, that you ignore? Are there passages in, in God's word that, that you don't read or that you don't acknowledge to be from God? Because if you reject that these passages, you might as well burn them. If you're rejecting parts of God's word, then you might as well be tearing them out of your Bible and, and throwing them into the fire. There's a lot of stuff in God's Word that is difficult and, and there are things that maybe horrify us, some of God's judgments. And I think it's right that we should be horrified by some of God's judgments because they're there for warnings to us. But we can't just reject them because, because it's God's word. And it's important to read God's word and to, to, to seek God through his word. And I know for some people maybe reading doesn't come naturally to you. And maybe you struggle with reading generally. But I think it's worth making an effort, even if, even if, Reading doesn't come naturally to you. It's worth making an effort to read what's written in God's word. Because that's the way we can seek God. It's the way we seek what God's will is for our lives. So Josiah acknowledges the book of the law. He acknowledges it for what it is. It is God's word. It's God's law. But the thing that stands out about Josiah is his attitude of humility as he reads or as, as it's read to him. When the law is read to Josiah, he humbles himself. He repents. And God's word, God's word challenges our lifestyles. 
There are things in God's word that aren't comfortable when, when we are confronted with them. And Josiah recognized not only that his life wasn't matching up to God's word, but also he grieved over the, he wept over the sins of his predecessors. And I think it's important to, to, to grieve over the sins around us. Where, I think it's important where, where people around us are sinning against God and rejecting God. It's, I think it's appropriate to grieve about that. So, for example, in, in 2 Peter, we, we read about Lot's attitude to the people of Sodom. Don't want to preempt Mark's sermon on Lot. So. <laughs> it says in, in 2 Peter, chapter 2 and verse 7, it talks about God rescuing Lot, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among, among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. So I think it's right that we should be distressed by the sin that we see around us. Now Josiah... Josiah went through Judah, tearing down the idolatry, the, 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 uh, removing all the idolatry. And we aren't called to do that. Josiah, it was part of the, I guess, the role of, of Josiah as king of Judah to, to do that, to, to bring, bring people back into the worship of God by removing the idols. But as Christians, we aren't called to do that. Our calling is to call people to repent. Our calling is to tell people of the need to repent of their sins. So Josiah repents when he reads what is written in God's law. He humbles himself before God and as he sends Hilkiah to the prophetess, this is the thing that stands out. Remember, Josiah's already been throughout the land removing the idols, even before the book of the law was, was found. He's, be, he's done righteous things in the eyes of God. And yet the thing that stands out, the thing that, that delays God's judgment on Judah, is because his heart was responsive and he humbled himself. It wasn't his, his righteousness in removing the idols. It was because he humbled himself before God and tore his robes and wept in the presence of God. And that is why God heard him, it says. That's why God had mercy on, on Josiah and delayed the, the judgment on Judah till after Josiah's death. And it is important to be obedient to God's word. It's important to, to obey what God says. 
But obedience can come from legalism or it can come from humility. And the obedience that pleases God is the obedience, the righteousness that comes from humility. And so we need to seek God with humility, just as Josiah did. We need to seek God recognizing our own, our own failings before God. And humility, being humble before God, entails recognizing that God's ways are much greater than ours. So, in Isaiah chapter 55, again there is an invitation to seek God. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we see that in seeking God, we seek him in, with the acknowledgement that God's ways are higher than our ways, that we have to submit to God because we can't come to God thinking that we are somehow that we can meet God's standards. We can't. We recognize that God is higher than we are. And that's an attitude of humility. And without that attitude, we can't seek God. We can only seek God with, the, with humility. So Josiah sought God, began to seek God at an early age. And he continued seeking God's way throughout his life. And Josiah saw a revival. Now, I don't know if God's going to send a revival to us tomorrow, or next year, or, or whenever. But if God is going to send a revival... It has to start with, with us as individuals. It has to start with us seeking God. We need to have the, the attitude of humility that, that Josiah has. We have to seek God knowing that we haven't lived up to God's standards and repenting when we are confronted with God's word. So many of us are longing to see a revival and it's important to allow God to revive us first. I know many of us have been seeking God but we need to continue to seek him more and more and show him where we need where, where show, show, and we need to allow him to show us where we need him to change us. 
And we need to allow God to make demands on us and be willing to obey those, those, those demands. So are we seeking God with all our heart, as Josiah did? And are we humbling ourselves before God? So let's commit ourselves afresh to do that, to faithfully seek God and be humble before him. So let's pray.